All right, well, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. John chapter number 1. We're going to look and continue on with our series in doctrine. Uh, we've looked at the importance of studying doctrine and learning doctrine. We then talked about the bibliology, talking about the importance of the Word of God. And this, of course, is the foundation for all of our doctrine. Then we looked at theology. Uh, we looked at who God is and His names. We looked at many of the names of God. We looked at the attributes of God. We talked about the sovereignty of God. And then we moved on to Christology, and we've looked at a few uh, special aspects of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we took some time the last two times to consider how the Scriptures and the Savior are very similar. Right? They're both named the Word of God. They both, uh, they both feed the soul. Um, they both are important in our lives. They, they both must be received in order to be saved. And, and uh, there was 19 of them. Uh, and uh, you'll have to go back and listen to those uh, online and, um, because I don't remember them all right this second. Uh, but I could uh, look them up. But anyway... Um, tonight we're going to look at the nature of our Savior. So Jesus Christ and His nature is the title of the message tonight. And we're going to kind of use John 1, 1 through 5 to kind of kick us off. And the Bible says in John 1, in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I'm going to quote tonight uh, from somebody that's not necessarily a known theologian, but I'm going to quote from uh, former President Ronald Reagan. And before I quote from him, here's a statement that I kind of want to start with, and that is, Jesus Christ was the single most important person to ever walk on this earth. Now, Ronald Reagan, here's what he said. Meaning, thank you for the amen over there in the overflow. Uh, meaning no disrespect to the religious convictions of others, I still can't help wondering how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of all and which is recorded in history. He said, no one denies that there was such a man, that he lived and that he was put to death by crucifixion. But where is the miracle I spoke of? Well, consider this and let your imagination translate the story into our own time, possibly to your own hometown. A young man whose father is a carpenter grows up working in his father's shop. But one day he puts down his tools and walks out of his father's shop. He starts preaching on street corners and in the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while, even though he is not an ordained minister. He does this for three years. Then he is arrested, tried, and convicted. There's no court of appeal. So he is executed at age 33 along with two common thieves. Well, those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing, the only possessions he has. 
His family cannot afford a burial place for him, so he is interred, interred in a borrowed tomb. End of story? Question mark? No. This uneducated, propertyless young man who left no written uh, word has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, all the conquerors, generals and admirals, all the scholars, scientists, and philosophers who have ever lived, all of them put together. How do we explain that? Unless he really was who he said he was. You see, Jesus Christ, as I said at the very beginning, was the single most important person to ever walk on this earth. Now, why is he, was he so important? Well, I think we can point to his nature as the answer for why he was so important. Now, what does the Bible say about the nature of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, tonight, let's notice that Jesus has a divine nature. Divine nature. So, he was, Jesus Christ was and is 100% God. Okay, that's not the end of the sentence, but we're going to just focus in on that part of the sentence right now. He 100% God. In verse number 1, the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we find out in verse number 14 who the Word was. In verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that the Word of God, mentioned in verse number 1, was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He has a divine nature. He was God and is God. Okay, uh, how do we know that he has a divine nature? Of course, the Word of God says so, and that's enough. But here's some aspects of who Jesus is that points to the fact that he does have a divine nature. First of all, here, he is eternal. He's always existed. And he always will exist. In John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. So before uh, there was a heaven and earth, before there was uh, monkeys and, and uh, giraffes, uh, our family, and I didn't get to go um, because I see enough uh, animals at my house, uh, namely my dog. I'm kind of over animals, but uh, the rest of the family went to the zoo uh, the other day. I think it was on Monday, and um, they had a good time kind of seeing some of the animals. Well, before any of the animals were created, before all of that, Jesus Christ existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, as it refers to where Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would be born. And most of us know that Micah 5.2 is that prophecy regarding Bethlehem, where Jesus Christ would be born. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, uh, Epaphrath, Epaphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. But here's the last part of the verse. It says this, Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. See, Jesus Christ is eternal. If you turn to, uh, real quick, John chapter number 8, you're in John 1. Just flip over to John chapter 8 real quick. John 8 and verse number 58. This, uh, 
This was a mind-blowing statement for Jesus to say to um, the Jews here. In verse 57, he said, or then said the Jews unto him, uh, well, uh, let, me, let me back up, I, I guess. I need to back up here. In verse 54, If I honor myself, I honor my, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And, uh, and if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. He's talking about Abraham here. Your father ha Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Then verse 58, here it is. Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So he said, look, before Abraham was born, I existed because I'm eternal. Well, that went over real well with the uh, Jews. Verse 59, then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And I, I, I would have loved to have been there to watch Jesus kind of walk through everybody who was really trying to kill him at that moment. I mean, they took up stones, and, and Jesus just kind of calmly walks through like, yeah, you can't touch me. Um, so uh, this passage here is a very wonderful passage that says that, look, uh, Jesus is eternal. He never had a beginning, and he will never have an end. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse number 13, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and Omega. And uh, Seth, are you going to have to take Greek? Probably. And it'll be all Greek to him once he does. Okay, just to get that joke out of the way. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but... When I learned Greek, like the first day of Greek, we had to learn the alphabet. And the very next class, we had a quiz on the entire alphabet of Greek. Well, the first letter of Greek is alpha. The last letter of Greek is omega. And so when Jesus says here, I am alpha and omega, he's saying I'm the first letter and I'm the ending letter. And he continues on in that verse saying, I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, I am the same, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, Jesus Christ is eternal. So he has a divine nature. How do we know that? Well, he's eternal. Uh, next, he is also the creator. He's the creator. Going back to John 1 and verse number 3, John says this about the Lord Jesus Christ, all things were made by him. And then, in case you didn't get it, he continues in the next part of the verse. And without him was not anything made that was made. See, Jesus Christ is the creator. And so when we read about the account in Genesis when God created the heaven and the earth, and he spoke, and who was there? Jesus was there. And he was and is the creator. You say, well, okay, well, that's John 1. And there is nowhere else that says that. I'm glad you said that because we're going to turn to a couple more passages real quick. Colossians chapter number 1. So we're going to learn that there's three passages here at least in the Bible that in the New Testament that tell us that Jesus is the creator. Colossians chapter number 1. In verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us to be made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. 
who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay, so now the, he, Paul was talking about giving thanks unto the Father, but then now we're switching our attention to the Son of, son of God, the Lord Jesus. Verse 14 talks now about the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So... Pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus Christ is the creator. There's one more passage. So John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. In case you have people who go, yeah, Jesus wasn't part of creation. (laughs) You have now three passages. John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 and verse number 1 says this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus is the creator. It's right there in the word of God. So he has got a divine nature because he's eternal, because he's the creator, also because he did miracles. Jesus, of course, did great and mighty things while here on this earth. He turned the water into wine. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and he raised the dead. And uh, there's so many others we could talk about. In fact, John put it this way. At the end of his gospel in John 21, 25, he says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And then he says, Amen. He's like the pastor who's like, I'm going to say amen to myself on that one. Because the amount of things that Jesus did, I mean, we get just a snippet in the Gospels. We get a pretty good snippet, but it's not a full conclusive list of all the things that Jesus did as he had his public ministry. And we don't know how many, uh, perhaps, miracles he did before his uh, public ministry. Um, I would have probably, and uh, this, please don't misunderstand this, but if I were him in the uh, wood shop and things weren't coming together quite like they should, because I've been in my garage trying to do things, and they don't, I would probably, you know what, I'm just going to perform a miracle, right? I, I don't know that he did that. I'm just kind of using imagination here, and, and uh, I'm not trying to be um, irreverent to it, but here's the deal. He did miracles, and only God can do miracles. And so that points to his divine nature. And fourthly here, his attributes point to his divine nature. The fact that Jesus is omniscient. We looked at this on Sunday morning as we uh, know, uh, looked at uh, Jesus knowing the uh, Pharisees and the Herodians that came at him and knowing their hypocrisy. He knew it. He knows all things. When he went to the woman at the well in John chapter number 4 and, and he was talking to her, uh, 
he said this in John 4.18, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. He was saying this to her. And uh, he said, Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Yeah, he did know all things. And it wasn't that anybody told him, he's God. And as a result of that, he knows all things. He's omniscient. He's also omnipotent. Matthew 28, 18 says, all power is given unto me. There was nothing that Jesus Christ couldn't do. He just chose not to do it and uh, to flex his power every moment. But uh, he did have all power. So he was omnipotent. He also was omnipresent. And he is omnipresent. Matthew 28, 19, I am with you always. See, he is omnipresent. And he is also immutable in the fact that he never changes. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, I already mentioned this verse earlier, the same, the same, the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is immutable. He never changes. We live in a culture that is constantly changing. And for many years, I worked with teenagers who were in a constant state of change. Their bodies were changing. Their voice was changing. Their their face was breaking out in pimples and things like that. I mean, there was just changes going on in their lives. And I would just encourage them, hey, run run to the Scriptures. They never change. And run to the Savior. He never changes. Um, so his attributes point to the fact that he has a divine nature. Okay, he had a divine nature, so he's 100% God. Let's finish the sentence. He was also 100% man at the same time. And so let's look at the fact that Jesus not only had a divine nature, but also a human nature. Human nature. John 1, in verse number 14, as I uh, mentioned a little while ago, the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. He didn't have to be made flesh, but he chose to become flesh. How do we know that he had a human nature? Well, uh, we when we study his birth, his birth points to the fact that he had a human nature, because he was born just like you and I were born. Now you may you may have been born in a hospital, and um, I remember like Seth is here. We actually had a pretty sweet hospital situation with Seth. I mean, it was a really nice room, big, huge room uh, when Seth was born. Uh, but when Jesus was born, not such the case. Uh, he was born in less than ideal circumstances, but he was born just like you and I were born. So his birth points to the fact that he had the human, human nature, but his body itself uh, points to the fact that he had a human nature as well. You see, Jesus dealt with some of the same things that we deal with when it comes to our body. He got hungry. I'm hungry right now. I didn't have dinner yet. So I'm kind of waiting for church to get over so I can go get something to eat. <laughs> he was hungry. And uh, he, when we know that when he was in the wilderness and had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I have fasted for about four hours. So um, I know I'm pretty spiritual. <laughs> so... Um, But he was hungry. He got thirsty. He was thirsty there on the cross. One of the words that he said, the seven sayings from the cross when he said, I thirst. 
He was tired. It says many times as you read through the life of Christ in the Gospels that he was weary and that he was tired. And uh, I love in Mark chapter number 5, as he's there in the, uh, in the ship as they go through that storm, he's there asleep on a pillow. And uh, I would just love that because, hey, I want to be like Jesus, so i got to take naps. And uh, so I'm just trying to be conformed in the image of Christ. Every time I take a nap, I'm just like the Savior. So thank you. I was looking for some amen, but none of you take naps. Uh, but, uh, but Jesus was tired, and, and his body was, got weary. Okay? He had a body of flesh and blood. You see, on the cross, his body was broken and his blood was shed. And, of course, it, <clears throat> excuse me, his blood was not like my blood because his blood was uh, pure, sinless blood, but, but he had blood and flesh just like you and I have. And his body ended up dying just like our body dies. So his body pointed to the fact that he had a human nature but also, thirdly, his emotions pointed to the fact that he had a human nature. Jesus got angry. Now, the difference here is that it wasn't selfish anger. It was righteous anger. It was pure anger. But he did get angry. He did have that emotion. He was also sad. Now, John chapter 1. Let's turn to John chapter 11 very quickly. particular passage is famous for having the shortest verse in the Bible, but it also shows us the humanity of Jesus Christ. John chapter 11, as Jesus um, is, finally comes on the scene when Lazarus died, his good friend Lazarus had died, and when he comes in verse 34, where have you laid them? They said unto him, Lord, come and see, and then Jesus wept. You see, he was sad. I know you're all hoping that that'll be the September memory verse, uh, John 11:35, and give out Brahms cards for that. I don't think so. Amen. Nice try. Yeah, there's finally an amen on that one. Um, but uh, see, Jesus showed his humanity here as he wept and out of love and sadness for his friend who had passed away. Now, he knew that it was merely temporary because he knew it was about to happen uh, in a few verses later. But uh, he was sad and he loved and he also had compassion as he looked at his own people there and, and had compassion upon them because they were as sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus had, has a human nature. But then thirdly, let's end with this thought here, and that is Jesus has a sinless nature. So John, back to John chapter 1 and verse number 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He had a sinless nature. 1 John 1 and verse number 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Not a, not a one. There was never a time in His life growing up that He ever disobeyed His parents. 
probably kind of made his brothers and sisters not super happy with him. Like they could never blame it on him. I used to blame things on my brother all the time. No, I didn't really, but uh, most of the time, just not all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and yet his brothers and sisters couldn't do that because they knew, well, it was never Jesus. He was always perfect. And uh, he never thought anything wrong. He never said anything wrong. He never didn't do something that he was supposed to do. I mean, he was perfect. There was no sin in him. He had a sinless nature and has a sinless nature. A couple thoughts about this very quickly here. First of all, he did not sin. He did not sin. Hebrews 4.15 is a good reference on this. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, he dealt with many of the, or all the different temptations that you and I face. Okay, well, no, he didn't have an iPhone that had access to wicked things that he was tempted. But he had temptation to lust. He had temptation to steal. He had temptation to uh, be covetous and to be disobedient, no doubt. And he was, in all points, the writer of Hebrews says, Tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so Hebrews 4.15, here's another reference. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he hath made him to be sin for us. And the, the, the different pronouns there, for he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He did not sin. But then secondly, and this might be a little more controversial, he did not sin, but next he could not sin. See, the temptations in the wilderness were not to see if he would sin. They were there to prove that he couldn't sin. And there really is a big difference. Because of his immutable nature, his omnipotence, his deity, the infinite was and is stronger than the finite, the nature of temptation. Um, it says here, God never tempts anyone with sin, according to James 1, uh, 14 and 15. And yet when he was tempted, the Bible says that the Spirit led him. Now, here's an illustration to kind of help us understand this. Um, at the, as the Union Pacific Railroad was being constructed, an elaborate trestle bridge was built across a large canyon in the west. Wanting to test the bridge, the builder loaded a train with enough extra cars and equipment to double its normal payload. The train was then driven onto the middle of the bridge where it stayed an entire day. One worker asked, are you trying to break this bridge? No, the builder replied, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. The same way the temptations Jesus faced weren't designed to see if he would sin, but to prove that he couldn't. If he could, then would he really be God? Because God can't be tempted. 
See, here, I mean, here's the deal. He could not sin. It was something that he was incapable of doing. So you say, well, God can do anything. Yeah, well, God can't sin. Because that's just not who his nature is. He has a sinless nature. He knows no sin, and, uh, and yet he took all of our sin upon himself. And, and this is a mind-boggling thought. The writer, or Paul, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him to be sin for us. That's kind of a mind-boggling thought, but Jesus became sin for us and ultimately took the wrath of God for us on the cross of Calvary. And he didn't just take all my sin, which there was a lot. Amen, Mike? He's like, amen! There was a lot of sin that Jesus had to take upon for you, bud. But guess what? All of Mike's sins, too. And all of Stephanie's sins. There was maybe just a couple. Um, But all of our sins and the sins of the whole world were put on him. And he became our sin and took the wrath for all of those sins at the moment of the cross. Okay. So Jesus has a divine nature human nature and a sinless nature. What then should we do with this information? Here's a couple of quick thoughts. First of all, get saved. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, look, he is who he said he was. As Ronald Reagan said, the most important individual to ever walk this earth. He really was God in human flesh, deity robed in humanity. The Word that became flesh. He really was. And He is the only way. Jesus said Himself, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. There's only one way to heaven, and it's by having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're not saved, please get saved. And then secondly, I would say submit to Him. He's the Lord of glory. He doesn't just want to be your Savior. He also wants to be our Lord. And most of us really like Him being our Savior. Because then we have eternal life, and then we have forgiveness of sins. We're part of God's family. But when it comes to allowing Him to be the Lord of our lives and letting Him tell us how to live our lives, well, that's a little bit different. I encourage you to submit to Him. And then I would say, thirdly, serve him. It is a privilege to serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. One great way to serve him is by telling others about him and by sharing him with those around you. We're not just to hoard him for ourselves and say, hey, I've got salvation. I've got the Lord Jesus living inside. He's come and saved me and I get to keep him, but you can't have him. Uh uh. He's mine. Well, the thing is, yes, he's yours, but there's enough to go around. <laughs> first uh, John and verse number, or second, first John chapter two, verse number two. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, <laughs> he's enough to forgive me of all my sin, but he's also enough to forgive my neighbor of all of his sin. 
So I need to be sharing him with those around me. And so you say, well, why didn't God just take us out of here the moment we received Christ? In some ways, that would have been nice. But in other ways, look, God has a purpose and a plan for us. And part of that plan is to be getting the gospel out to those around us. So let's do that. Um, let me end with this thought here. James Smith in uh, Daily Remembrances, he said this, Jesus, who died for thy sins, is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We can never ascribe too much to Jesus, but he is worthy also to be, to be believed in preference to Satan, unbelief, the world, or appearances. To be trusted with all, for all, before all. To be loved more than any other in opposition to any that would rival him. To be followed wherever he may lead us uh, through the wilderness. We sung about that a little bit ago. Through evil report or good report. To be preferred to ease, pleasure, wealth, health, to anything and everything. Jesus is worthy to be our example, our confidant, our king, and our all. He is worthy of all he requires, all we can give, all his people have done for him or suffered in his cause. With that, let's have prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to preach Christ. Lord, what a blessed topic to talk about and to look at your nature. Father, I pray that we would understand who you are and the fact that you have a divine nature, the fact that you have a human nature, and most of all, Lord, that you have a sinless nature. Lord, thank you for um, not changing either in any of that. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that and help us, Lord, to uh, if there's one here today that's not saved, may they come to Christ and be born again. Help us, Lord, all to submit to you, to obey you, to let you be the Lord of our lives. Help us, Lord, to serve you. What a privilege it is to be an ambassador of Christ and to make you known to those around us. Help us to do so. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.